Hello, and welcome back to the Spring to Life podcast. I'm Caitlin, your host slash hormone health coach, femme educator, Pilates instructor, and creator of the Spring to Life method. My goal is to promote feminine body independence and share stories of female resiliency to help you love your body more and unleash your inner superpower, your period. I am very excited to bring you this interview with Emma Brereton this week. Uh, This is truly a story of female resiliency, and I hope you find it as inspiring as I did. Um, It gets pretty juicy towards the end, so I hope you tune in the whole uh, episode, and I will be really interested to hear your thoughts. All right. I am here with Emma Brereton, who is going to share a very important story with us today on the podcast. Um, But I'm going to first turn it over to Emma to just introduce herself, tell us a little bit about her work. And um, we actually connected because I was on Emma's podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about um, my work. And she's very much into the paradigm shift and change makers. Um, So I'm just going to let her explain a little bit about that before we get into this story. Hi, Caitlin. I am so excited to have this conversation and to be on your podcast. Um, Yeah, so I am a professional psychic um, and sort of spiritual business coach um, for particularly um, ascension-focused, awake, uh, conscious uh, female CEOs, for the most part, um, and business owners. And I help them elevate their brands in um, a very soul-aligned way. Um, It's of great importance to me to only be giving my energy to people and things that are really, you know, bringing humanity forward into a new paradigm. And so that's really paramount in my work. Uh, But yes, I have, um, I'm a tarot instructor among um, many other things. Um, And I also do um, soul portraits. Um, So uh, I have soul portraits underneath my wheelhouse as well. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit about me. Um, Didn't want to misspeak in terms of relaying what you do, because I think it's like so beautiful and so unique to you. Um, so that is really lovely. And I, I do, I don't know all the details of your story, but I feel like, um, this experience that you're going to share with us probably has fed in some way to kind of what you do right now, if not directly, but like just in your whole experience, your life experience. Um, So I'm really excited to hear about it and share it with the audience. So we connected originally because you wanted to have me on your podcast in terms of talking about um, the work that I do in helping women to transition off of hormonal birth control um, as we're kind of like ushering in this new like information age, I guess we could call it of like women waking up to uh, what it really means to be healthy in their body, how to take control of their fertility um, and how all of that is kind of energetically shifting um, like as a collective population. Uh, And I really enjoyed that conversation. If anybody wants to go back and listen to Emma's podcast, I think she had some really uh, poignant questions, and we had a great conversation. Um, but what intrigued me the most was your near-death experience with birth control. So I think we should just start there <laughs> and have you dive into the story. We can kind of like uh, branch off, and I'll, I'm sure I'll have some questions um, as your story progresses. So I know 
very little, but I know that you were on birth control in college and that's kind of where this all starts. So I'm gonna turn it over to you. Okay, great, thank you. Yeah, so um, clearly as I mentioned kind of in the intro, um, spreading awareness around like the truth of the world that we live in is very paramount to um, my sole purpose. And that was very much how we aligned. Um, and yeah, so, um, you know, as a, as a professional intuitive and psychic, um, I've always been relatively sensitive, um, but I was very unaware of sort of my sensitivities uh, growing up uh, until sort of a few different awakening processes uh, happened. Um, and so I also want to preface this conversation by saying that I really believe that there were multiple factors going into sort of this experience with birth control. Um, and I, I say this not to sort of negate um, the responsibility of, uh, you know, maybe negligent medical professionals or uh, birth control, the problem of birth control itself. Um, but really to also suggest to you that there, on some level, I brought this experience to myself um, on an energetic level, even though I probably was not aware of it at the time, um, because I was in a really dark place. And I think um, the, the kind of the depression that I was under and the, you know, a massive, massive anxiety, um, it may have been contributed to being on birth control. Um, you know, all things that uh, kind of speculative, but there, there likely could be a connection there. Um, so I just wanted to preface this conversation with that um, as we kind of dive into the story. So yeah, I um, I got on birth control um, my junior year of college, um, and not because I wanted to be on birth control, but rather because my boyfriend at the time wanted me to be on birth control, uh, which is a red flag in itself. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I hopped on birth control and I scheduled a... Um, appointment with my gynecologist um and you know it was literally during my period so she couldn't really do an exam um and i remember going in there and i i always had a real resistance to gynecologists i think my experiences have always been rather um i don't want to say traumatic but i've always felt them to not be fully understanding to not really hold me in sacred space um i always felt um sort of this energy of like probing and entering into my personal space to be very um, uncomfortable and I didn't really want them there. And the whole thing felt very traumatic and that's a whole nother deep dive as far as, you know, why women have really poor boundaries um, when you are uh, have to have some sort of gynecological exam every um, how many years. Um, and maybe that's not something that is in full integrity or in alignment alignment with you, but you you, know, you should do it, and so you do it. Um, so that's a whole other kind of thread. But um, I, I got an appointment with my gynecologist um, purposely on my period because I didn't want to have one of those exams for the, uh, for the reasons I just explained. Um, and so I remember sitting in there, and I remember her little look, this attitude of like, why are you wasting my time? Like, uh, what do you want? Uh, like, why are you here? basically. Um, and I was like, well, she's like, do you want birth control? And I was like, yeah, I do want birth control. Um, so she's like, okay, well, I'll give it, I'll prescribe it to you. Eventually, you're gonna have to come back for an exam, though. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. So I get, I get the birth control, right? Because that's, that's what I wanted, with no intention of going back for an exam. Um, but also having zero clue of the problems that are associated with birth control um, and those were not highlighted for me whatsoever um, and so she put me on the highest dosage 
and sent me on my merry way. <laughs> uh, fast forward a month and a half, um, I have gained a ton of weight. Um, I am in a really dark place. I've, uh, I'm, I'm in a really unhealthy relationship um, at the time. And because of that unhealthy relationship, I've lost almost all of my friends. And so there's a lot of things happening at this moment where I, I was so depressed. I like, didn't even want to leave my, the bed, my, bed, my bedroom. I, my confidence was so in the tanks. Um, I went to a really small school. So um, if you were sort of annexed from the social group, um, then you were really shunned from the community. Um, it wasn't like you just could find friends elsewhere. There was really, it was either very black and white, either you're in or you're out. And especially because I'm sort of the, the kind of, I would say I was getting kind of bullied by my so-called friends um, who were all part of my sorority. Um, and it was just a really dark time in general. And that also was clearly on birth control. So things, all sorts of things were happening. I remember also getting, um, way more pimples and stuff like that, um, which of course is hormonally related and um, having no idea, but you know, doing anything for um, my boyfriend at the time. Um, and in sort of those deep, deep areas of despair, which were rather dysfunctional. Um, so fast forward, what, a month and a half, and I am, you know, getting a banana at the local um, cafeteria before I head to class. And I remember walking around and my eyesight was blurry and I, I, you know, it was on my left side and I was like, that's so weird. Like, why am I like, things are really like, there's an aura around things. This is really strange. Um, and so I was like, okay, maybe it's like, maybe I'm over. Like, you know, I, I'm, I need to get to class. So I go to class and I'm sitting in this amazing class. It was one of my favorite classes, but while I'm sitting there, um, the eyesight start get, starts getting worse, right? So then I really can't see anything out of my left eye. Um, and it starts happening to my right eye as well. So I'm like, do I'm like squinting, right? Um, to like see the board. Um, and at that point, my heart starts racing. Like, this is really weird. This is not like just hangover symptoms. This is really what, what's happening here. Um, and as that sort of recognition sinks into my body, um, I start kind of doing a body check. Okay, what else is going on here? And I realized that in my left hand, um, there's tingles in my left hand and I and my whole arm. Um, so I'm sitting there in class, trying to breathe through this, um, kind of wondering, like, you know, what the heck is going on? Um, and uh, at that point, like, my arm, like, I couldn't hold almost a pencil with my left hand because um, I was testing it out. I kept, you know, trying to, you know, shake it out or whatever. So I'm in the middle of this, like, hour and a half class um, seminar and didn't want to make a big issue um by like excusing myself for class from class so you know just kind of slightly you know went to use the restroom or something and i called my boyfriend at the time like hey something really weird is happening um and he's like well let's get you to the um kind of nurse's station um and so uh i, I of course again i mentioned really small school uh, there was a lot of resistance there because you know people talk the rumor mills just go rampant when um, you know, especially if an ambulance comes, because um, everyone knows everything, everyone knows everyone. And so I was like, a lot of resistance, like, no, 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 we can't go there. So he finally c convinces me to go there. And so I walk in and um, the kind of nurse that gives me an assessment is like, okay, we don't really know exactly what's going on here. We're going to send you to the local kind of ER. And mind you, this is like a very small town. Um, 
in Ohio and um, they send me to the local hospital and we go to the ER and at this point, so we're on our way over there um, and my boyfriend's driving me and I then call my parents um, like, hey, this is what's going on, keeping you aware of the situation. Um, and, you know, they're eerily calm, <laughs> um, probably to keep me calm, but even while I'm on the phone with them, I'm losing hearing as well. So at this point, one side of my body is like uh, expressing symptoms of something really bad. <laughs> like this is not good. <laughs> um, and we get to the ER and they of course do a scan on me um, to kind of check exactly what's going on because it's like, where do you begin? So I'm sitting there waiting um, and they kind of hook me up, take some blood samples, hook me up um, to sort of the machines and they um, kind of ER station like that. And I'm sitting there with my boyfriend at the time and of course lots of nerves, have no idea what's going on. And all of a sudden the ER doctor comes rushing in out of breath and looks at my boyfriend and looks at me and is, you know, says, oh my God, I am so glad that you're here with someone. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, I have no idea what that means. And she's like, um, I have horrible news. And I say, uh, again, what, what on earth are you possibly talking about? And she says, um, your carotid artery is dissecting and we're needing to life flight you to uh, OSU, Ohio State Medical, um, immediately. And I looked at her because all of that is gibberish to me at some, on some level. Um, and I look at her and I say, I don't know what that means. And she was like, your carotid artery is dissecting. And I said, am I going to die? Basically, my question is, am I going to die? And she wouldn't answer that. Um, and so I... Of course, at that point, start completely crying. Like it's a full meltdown mode. Um, and I sit there and sort of this like kind of daze of I have no idea like what is reality anymore. Um, and so immediately then they, they bring in the people that are um, going to like the, I, I call them angels, but really the people that run the life flight helicopter are some of the most in, impeccable people. Um, at least the ones that I, I experienced because I have massive flight anxiety. I've always had massive flight anxiety. I mean, not as much anymore, but at the time I was in the middle of that. I was before a, a very profound spiritual awakening that actually got me to not feel anxiety anymore about flying. But at the time I was incredibly anxious around flying, especially in a helicopter in a tight, confined space. Um, and so I, I told them that, you know, I... I don't know how I'm going to do this because, you know, my, I'm going to get um, so, so anxious and my heart is going, like, I'm going to be having maybe a panic attack. And I remember the doctor being like, okay, we can give you something that can help set, sedate you. Um, but it's, it's, uh, um, it's imperative that you keep your heart rate low because if you have more blood pushing through those, the, your veins, it's going to create the dissection further and you're going to have a brain aneurysm on the flight. So all of this is happening. I am on this flight. I don't even, you know, fully, I'm not even fully probably in the body on this flight. Um, I just remember just beginning to talk to God. And um, there was a profound sense of calm that moved over me. Um, you know, almost this peace of, I have no idea, like, there's nothing I can do. Uh, there's absolutely nothing I can do.
um, except just surrender. Um, and so, yeah, they we land at, at OSU, which is like a huge, for those of you who aren't familiar with OSU Hospital, it's a huge hospital. Um, some of the most like world-renowned doctors come there. It, it has a huge budget. Um, they have a, a huge, amazing like medical facility, like, specifically a cancer facility. Um, everything's very high-tech and brand new. It's very state-of-the-art. Um, and I, they like, of course, we land there. Um, they wheel me into sort of uh, probably some sort of room that's like just all metal. And I remember being like, wow, this is what people like see when they're, you know, you know, probably unconscious um, in like horrible, uh, you know, car wrecks, et cetera, because it's, it's a, probably an acute trauma sort of area. And then I remember the doctors there coming in and looking at me and being like, you're the person with the carotid artery dissection? And I was like, yes. And they're like, you're way too young to be having a carotid artery dissection. Um, we were anticipating someone in their like 80s or 90s. Um, and so yeah, fast forward, I then spend around three nights in the ICU. Um, at that point, um, my parents had of course driven all night and got there and um, the second night in, of course we're there. Um, and yeah, um, and so I had a team of doctors working on me. Of course, I'm the, the medical anomaly. Uh, we have no idea how this happened. Um, and I had a kind of a neurologist. I had someone that, you know, focused mainly on my eyes. I had someone that just focused on kind of more internal health, sort of blood stuff. Um, I literally had a team of like four to five doctors working on me. Um, and they were, you know, floating around ideas of putting a stint in. They were floating around ideas of, um all sorts of sort of uh measures if you know this this dissection didn't clear itself up um and i remember they just kind of kept watching me and they basically said they basically said that if they put a stint in it would create more more trauma in the area and more more harm than good so they were just going to watch me um watch me and put me on some blood thinners and and eventually send me on my way after around three to four days in the hospital as things didn't look like they were necessarily getting worse um um and 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 it wasn't you know becoming bigger uh, i think the blood thinners helped with that so i remember one of the last conversations i had with the doctors we kind of had decided collectively on the plan forward and you know, again, no one had really given me a full answer on um, what was happening. Um, everyone was kind of, you know, pointing to different directions. And we have no idea. I remember one doctor asking me if I had been punched in the neck recently. And I was like, I'm not in my immediate um, memory. <laughs> um, yeah, and I remember the only female doctor on the team, and she was an Indian woman, the only female doctor on the team when all the other doctors had left, I remember her sitting there and I was asking her a question and she turned to me and she looked at me and she said, if I were you, I would get off that birth control. And I said, gotcha, I will. Um, uh, I guess I probably should have prefaced by saying that I've never been a pill person. I've never been on any pills. Um, I've always been a very healthy individual. Um, I've never taken... Um, really, my mom has always been sort of a tough it out type of person, you know, very low, low medical um, attention type of person. Um, and so even, even though I, I had that background, 
and no sort of background of any sort of medical history that was problematic in a specific sort of blood clot way at the time. I didn't know this. Um, no one could tell me that it was connected to the birth control except for that one doctor who suggested that it was time for me to get off of it. So I got off of it, and a few months later, um, you know, everything cleared up. Um, I kept going in for routine visits um, for them to do sort of, you know, scans around my body for any sort of blood clots, and um, none were found. And so that's kind of concludes the, the, the story on some level um, of my experience with birth control. Um, and clearly, as I realize now, um, it was due to the birth control, especially as it pertains to sort of creating blood clots or helping to create, I don't know if it's coagulated blood, I, I don't know the medical terminology for it, but um, I didn't realize it again, no one told me this, but I didn't realize the impact of birth control, but um, I'm, I'm not a, I, I'm not somebody that is a candidate, uh, I guess, for um, that type of birth control. Um, so yeah, that kind of concludes my story. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I got chills at multiple points during your telling of this story. Um, and I think it's like such a cautionary tale. Like there were so many red flags, just even, I know you described red flags with your boyfriend, but just even from starting with your visit with the gynecologist, moving forward. Um, and I just, I wanted to look this up to share just for our audience, but uh, carotid dis dissection is a tear in the inner layer of the wall of the carotid artery that allows bleeding into the artery wall. So not uh, something we want to be dealing with. It's pretty serious. And so we know that uh, blood clots can be caused by uh, birth control. And this is something I wanted to look up exact figures <laughs> earlier. And um, the number is somewhere between three and nine out of 10,000 women per year will get blood clots from birth control, which, you know, when they look at that as a percentage, it's between 0.03 and 0.09%. But three to nine women out of 10,000 really isn't that small <laughs> of a number to be dealing with a a life-threatening condition, especially at such a young age, like to be late teens, early 20s, even into, you know, late 20s, early 30s. Um, so it's like a miracle that you are able to, you know, catch it that soon and get the medical attention that you needed, especially considering you had to also be airlifted to receive the attention that you needed. Um, so I'm so glad that you are here to share this tale. Um, and something that really stood out to me was the lack of, um, there was no really line of questioning, it seemed, when you were at the gynecologist um, in terms of assessing your mental state at that time, because this is something that doctors do know, that birth control can exacerbate existing mood disorders. So if you're already anxious or depressed or dealing with some other sort of mood disorder, being on birth control can definitely send you spiraling. And that's honestly something that I experienced in with my birth control as well. And nobody really talked to me about that. It wasn't something that I learned until afterwards. Um, but it's such a disservice to the women <laughs> that are receiving this medical care um, 
to not have that discussion, um, especially when there are so many possible side effects of uh, being on birth control. So I'm curious for you now, I know you said you went and did some follow-up visits. Is, has there been any lasting um, effects from that incident or do you feel that you're completely healthy uh, at this point? So it's interesting. So of course, then I get off birth control, not even being on it for like two months. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, at that point, I've never been, I've never been on it since ever been on mm -hmm. it since. Um, and so as far as lasting kind of impacts, um, none that are kind of from that experience, except from like an emotional standpoint and a spiritual standpoint, as far as sort of the wisdom of seeing sort of the impact of things that we're told are harmless, um, mm -hmm. but we have a very discerning and questioning eye um, around those, those things that, you know, either it's the EPA or sort of the CDC, um, the mm -hmm. ways we kind of be looking at things um, from an intuitive discerning place. Um, but also I had, you know, and the spiritual side of me, you know, I remember being in sort of these experiences with all these people that have had that were also in a really dire situation as I was and having this moment of a kind of heart opening that there's nothing different between me and the, that person. And I think an awareness that this could be any of us at any time. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that idea of other um, is really just a reflection of self on a very uh spiritual kind of uh, level um because i remember thinking in my head like there's nothing there's nothing different from me right now than someone that's told that they have you know cancer throughout their body and they have like 24 hours to live and i remember having to really kind of grapple with and integrate that moment um so as far as sort of the kind of uh maybe perhaps the emotional and spiritual wisdom that was uh, gleaned from the experience there haven't been any sort of uh, physical ramifications um, that I've been aware of. Um, I did feel as though sort of my hormones had been kind of like they're they, they needed to be balanced out for sure. And I feel like mm -hmm. now I'm I'm far more in like a just because I was only on it for even like a month and a half, and thankfully I wasn't on it longer. Um, that sort of evened out uh, eventually, and I feel like I'm in a much better place now. Um, but yeah, I think also the, the weight gain was hugely traumatic to a uh, sense of confidence um, mm -hmm. and for a variety of reasons. And I just, I really believe that we're just not told as women all of these things because they want us to be participating in a system and our ignorance is their gain. And mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, I know your work is so paramount important to spreading awareness in this regard as well but um yeah i really view birth control as an example of that i totally i resonate with that and i know that was something we discussed um in your interview on your podcast of how uh just as a population of people women being on birth control really changes the um I don't know if work ethic is quite the word that I'm looking for, but it definitely, um, that is a big part of it because we're, you know, we know we're wired on this 28 to 36 day cycle normally. And when you're on birth control, it really shuts that down. It's shutting down those hormones and putting you in more of a 
positioned to be on that 24 hour clock, which is more suitable to a nine to five <laughs> work schedule um, mm-hmm. versus being, um, you know, perhaps at home with children or working in a more creative cyclical way. Um, so yeah, I think it's, such a a realization as but and it sometimes i i it's so difficult because i also feel like as women did we really have this um like clear awareness of that cyclical pattern before birth control became so mainstream um i feel like it's definitely i think it was more of an innate uh sense yeah previously as now we're having to like rediscover it and of course we've got more technology and more research and wanting to get more into the science and understanding um the different phases a little bit more in depth but I think like we're really having to like relearn this biological process about ourselves um in a in a new way as Uh we're kind of like shifting out of this um place of everybody being on birth control Um, So another question that was kind of floating around in my mind this morning as I was thinking about this is um, if you had, like after this experience, if it affected other people around you and it sounds like maybe it wasn't like a right away, oh, birth control caused this carotid artery dissection. It wasn't like a clear connection right away. So maybe you weren't able to like use that as a cautionary tale right away. But I'm just curious how that maybe affected um, people around you's thoughts around birth control, maybe their use of birth control? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so yeah, the, the connection to it, I knew intuitively, um, off the bat, though there were, as Mm -hmm. I mentioned, there were so many different factors playing into the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say that to people, right? And people would kind of be like, oh, well, you're that statistic, right? You're mm-hmm. that one person. And then, you know, as I've gone through my life, I realized that there's way more people that have had issues with blood clots in regards to birth control than, you know, even the statistic that you mentioned, which I'm not, I'm not saying that that's incorrect, but I, I feel like so much of it goes unreported. So it seems it- low when I was reading it. I was like, really? That's the number? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I, I, even like my, you know, women that I hang out with in my current location, um, you know, we, we chat about this stuff all the time. Um, and there's, been, I know at least three people in my current location that I hang out with that had blood clot issues for birth control, which is insane. Wow. Um, but as, as to, to your, to your question, you know, that was kind of the response is like, oh, well, you're that statistic, you're that one, you're that percentage. Um, Mm -hmm. Or people would then get, you know, well, I think really, especially in, in college, um, I feel like birth control, and this is, this is like kind of a, a critique of the larger society in general, but I feel as though so many of the solutions offered to us are only the band-aid to a deeper issue that is causing way more destruction. And the more that we just utilize the band-aid, the more that that destruction creates a bigger wound in the collective. Um, And I really view birth control as one of those things. And not to say that women can't and shouldn't have the ability and freedom to choose to be on it or not from a place of like pure awareness and a a responsible place. Um, But I do have to say that I really did call into question um, my sexual habits and is it really in my highest, least, and best good to be sleeping around with people? 
Um, is it in my, and especially in college where that is so pushed. Um, and I think that really went at, at odds with a lot of my friends because all of a sudden the groups that I was associated with, um, as, as I think this is a very classic example of college, but the groups that I was associated with um, specifically were always very worried about getting pregnant, like to the point of almost paranoia. And I think that they could rely on that idea in their head of birth control to protect them um, for their sexual escapades. And I'm not here to shame anyone around their sexuality or, you know, sleep with whoever you want. But I think on some level, if it's not being done in a conscious place and it's not being done in a grounded place, it's going to, as I mentioned, create a bigger wound um, than what you really need to look at as far as what is fulfilling you or maybe not fulfilling you um, in those sort of sexual relationships. Because I really noticed that with my friend group. Um, it's like, well, I can't get off birth control because I want to be having sex with as many people as I want. More power to you. But I also realized, too, through my experience that you could still do that if you wanted to without having to be on birth control. Um, that there's other ways that no one talks about um, that are, you know, natural forms of contraception. I know that that's a huge part of the work that you do, Caitlin, was inform people around that. Um, so I thought that was really interesting that that happened not only like my experience happened in such a heightened sexual time um, because that was something that, you know, all of my peers around me were constantly worried about becoming pregnant and even go so far to then they would, they would change, you know, maybe getting hormonal and getting on an IUD. But then so many of them had horrific experiences with an IUD to the point of passing out. Um, and I, you know, I remember having this moment of like, is this all worth it? <laughs> it's really worth it. Like to sleep with some guy that probably isn't actually even fulfilling you um, and also is probably just like, you know, creating a deeper like self-loathing wound in you because you have not healed certain aspects of yourself and you're seeking external validation in this way. And then you're going and getting an IUD and you're passing out and you're having horrible menstrual cramps um, and you're so dysregulated from your body and it's like, is this actually a solution? And it came to my awareness, it's like not a solution, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think that you said that really wonderfully. And it's definitely um, kind of a conversation that is I've been having with myself in my head, especially the more that I get into the work that I'm doing in teaching cycle charting as a means of fertility awareness and being able to use that, um, not only for conception, but also for birth control. Um, and one of the things one of the like facts in my um, training is that hormonal birth control works 100% of the time when you're not fertile. So there's a large part of the month where you are not fertile, but you're yeah. still taking this pill or you still have this medical device in mm -hmm. your uterus or in your cervix there. Um, and it's just like, like you said, there are all, all these other different methods and not that I was, uh, you know, sleeping around a ton at that point in my life either, but there was definitely, you know, that was kind of like the culture, like you get, totally. you know, your college age, you're living on your own, you're going out, you're like meeting people. And it's kind of, that's a part of like the energy of being that age, I think. Um, and I totally. definitely you know, uh, feel that anxiety, not, you know, maybe in myself, but also like collectively in people that I know of like the fear of being pregnant and obviously birth control is the quickest solution. Um, 
but it did, there was, I, I remember always feeling so, um, uneasy about it or like even uneasy myself in those situations of, you know, is this really what I want? And it's kind of like, you have to, um, be able to really stand in your own authenticity in order <laughs> to like figure that out. And I, you know, I don't know, thinking back now, if, if I had the knowledge I have now, would I have been able to like implement it confidently to use it? Or did I have to go through all of my trials and tribulations right. and that experience in order to get to this place? Um, but I do really hope that moving forward for future generations that they're able to have this knowledge and be able to make that informed decision. Um, and I know I also have like kind of read and heard that even like with Gen X, they're not as interested in mm -hmm. going out and like the hookup culture mm -hmm. um, that was like so pervasive, I think, in our generation. And we also came up with like all of the apps like Swipe Right yeah. and Tinder, yeah. and it became like such a part of our generation. Um, but I really do hope that that starts to shift in the direction of being more in tune with our cyclical nature and being able to, um, yeah, just feel more authentic because I think that that's also another part of it when you're taking birth control, it really changes you chemically. It changes, totally. like you discussed with your mood. It Like I did not feel like myself. I was on, I had a hormonal IUD for five years and the whole time I really didn't feel like myself, but it wasn't until I got it removed that I was like, oh, yeah, this is what it feels like to be me. And that was like a huge part of my journey of becoming and doing what I do now, because I was like, oh, my gosh, how many people, how many women are walking around not feeling like their fullest self? Kind of dissociated. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really wild that that has become such the norm for our society. Yeah, I I completely agree. And that, that was sort of something we chatted about on, on my podcast. And you made a brilliant point of you realizing that it wasn't, you were not supposed to feel the same every day. Mm -hmm. And I, that stuck with me. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, and I, I think I share all of that about my college and I want to put a caveat on that. It's not to shame anyone that is exploring their sexuality in that way, but I do feel like that is a, a a critique that as somebody that has moved through that phase of my life, um, I can look back on that now and see where I was operating in integrity uh, of my, my mm -hmm. true self and where I had a lot of growing to do. And you could, you can make the argument that I had to go through that experience. And so many of us had to go through that experience to really understand that deeper aspect of ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, but I really, I really all of the, the pain and the trauma and the feelings of, you know, self-loathing and rejection and all of this stuff that kind of also accompany, often accompanies those types of environments. And I think, as you mentioned, the sort of hookup culture that was so pervasive in our, our generation, especially in college, um, I just don't, I don't want my daughter and I don't want my future daughters um, and it, as a kind of a collective daughters um, mm -hmm. to have to go through that type of experience in that way. Um, mm -hmm. and I think to your point as far as, you know, would we have been able to actually implement with confidence sort of the knowledge we know now? I don't know, but I also, I'd rather have my daughters and our future generation of women have that 
uh, information in their arsenal, so to speak, um, so that mm -hmm. they can make um, really conscious decisions around um, not only who they're they're sleeping with and who they're partnering with, but also just understanding the sacredness of their body. Um, mm -hmm. And to the point you mentioned earlier, as far as sort of being so dis kind of disassociated when you're on birth control and making maybe decisions that you may not have been making if you weren't. Um, I really feel like so much of our culture has kind of dumbed out and dumbed down the sacred aspects of uh, what it means to be a woman and truly mm -hmm. what it means to be a woman and truly what it means to be in um, like, you know, in your different cycles and phases and, you know, how it connects to the moon and all of these things. Um, and so, to the point where I feel as though on some, on some level, you know, who would want to be a woman if you don't even understand how sacred your body is? You know, mm -hmm. and so then, of course, you can you can go down a whole nother tangent around sort of kind of what we're seeing in today's society around sort of this bizarre uh, uh, removal of what it means to be a woman. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that really stems from the fact that most women don't even understand how purely sacred it is to be mm -hmm. born in this body. Mm hmm. I, I agree fully with you on that point. Um, I. I don't like I know that I didn't have a full appreciation for my body and for myself as a woman or even really like viewing myself fully as a woman until mm -hmm. I truly understood this about the menstrual cycle about the different phases about how fertility works um and even how fertility is not necessarily you know, obviously you need to be fertile in order to conceive a child, but you also need your fertility for your overall health. So it's mm -hmm. not like you can just say, oh, I know that I don't want children, so I don't care about my fertility. Mm -hmm. It's there. It's intertwined with everything. Um, and yeah, it's, it is, it's very um, interesting to see what's going on now and just not so many women not able to, um, fully embrace themselves or appreciate themselves and their bodies for what they can do. And in the process of that, or in that vein, being able to kind of um, dissociate or kind of like turn down the value of other women around them in a way. Totally. Totally. And I, I really believe too, um, you know, clearly, I, I, I mean, I believe in to, to, uh, I believe in the, the male and female <laughs> as sort of a, like, your, your sex is either male or female. Um, I'm sure people can either um, pick up on that as far as um, kind of my, my comment earlier, but just wanting to be really clear about that. And clearly, there's kind of a spectrum of, you know, you can be a female, but really be more, have more masculine traits as far as femininity and masculinity. Um, <laughs> Or, or likewise for uh, a male, but I really do believe that there's only male and female. Um, and I think to that point, like, um, even understanding what I'm, like the masculine archetype is and what the feminine archetype is too is completely lost in our current society. And it's been on some level obliterated and bastardized and changed and morphed into something that's so toxic on some levels and so... Uh, inverted on others that at, at, mm -hmm. at some point we have no idea um and mm -hmm. it really comes back to sort of having to have that kind of um you know as you mentioned kind of going back to self and intuitive nature 
Um, and, and almost like to the point of like, even for a woman, like the health associated, yeah, you might not want to have kids, but it's still important for you to be aware of your fertility and your cycles, et cetera, as far mm-hmm. as your general health is concerned. I think that, um, in terms of losing like the value of the archetypes, I think that yeah. that does go back to birth control. And this is kind of some, I feel like we've kind of discussed this a little bit, even on your podcast, but like taking that cycle away from the women and putting mm-hmm. them into this more masculine yes. schedule really kind of devalues what the cycle could do for the women and also for the relationship of the man and the woman. Um, and I think don't necessarily consider, I do, I guess I, I do consider myself a feminist, but I would have to define it <laughs> on my own terms. I have my own, um, <laughs> definition of a feminism because I've never really been on board with the, the mass feminism because you know, I, okay, this is a good example because my boyfriend was a tanker in the army and when he was in combat, women were not allowed to be tankers. Now they are. Um, and, you know, if there's a woman out there that wants to be a tanker, I'm not going to stand in her way and stop well, you her. you probably shouldn't if she's driving a tank, right? <laughs> I'm not going to stand in her way. But yeah. to my boyfriend's point, he, that there is a, uh, an instinct in the male nature to protect the woman. So to him, having a woman in that team of four on the tank is dangerous Mm. because they're going to step out to protect her in in place of maybe performing their initial mission or initial role. Um, And, you know, I think that there's obviously like big arguments on either side of that. And I'm not trying to, you know, I, I think... Maybe I did just put myself <laughs> out there with that. But I have never, you know, I have never argued that I am 100% equal with a male. We're different. Totally. Um, and I'm not trying to, like, knock myself down a peg from the male position. But I think that the female has a different role. And I'm not trying to exercise that as being 100% equal to what tasks or jobs or roles that the man has totally so um I think but I'm also not trying like you said women can have you know more masculine energy and that's fine and you know if they want to play into that role and use that to their advantage the more power to them but I'm not I'm not trying to argue that I'm equal 100% of the time um, well, I think it's, I think to your point, it's, it's almost like our, it's almost like the, the problem that has been created is not so much equality, but rather the idea that women need to become men in order to be equal. I yes. think that's basically what you're saying. And I think yes. I would completely agree. And it's this idea that in order for you to be equal, you have to become the man instead of really fully embracing your own sacred power that mm-hmm. is is inherently like as far as kind of the the, the dichotomy kind of the yin yang like of the world women being in sort of that feminine energy and that mm-hmm. polarity and then the masculine polarity is is essential 
for kind of harmony to exist. There has mm-hmm. to be those poles. Um, and then everything in between, but those poles have to stand there. Um, and to your point, um, part of uh, like what makes, at least what I love so much about sort of my cycle and um, specifically its connection to the moon um, and my intuition flows so beautifully. And I think an intuition is so inherently feminine in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, one of our, you know, even if you're not as woo-woo as, you know, someone like me potentially, and you're not like doing psychic work necessarily, um, you still have an intu- intuition. You still have some sort of, you know, mm-hmm. gut feeling around things. And I think that's another part of women that, you know, no one talks about. Um, and mm-hmm. Or even just like, you know, femininity perhaps. Um, but it goes to say like, in, in sort of the, you could call it the patriarchal world. I like to call it the patriarchal world, but to your point, it's like even the word feminism is so drenched in so much dogma and mm. like crap and it's, the whole thing is so nuanced. Um, but I do say kind of patriarchal world is because it's a very masculine world. It's a very linear world and there's really no space. It's almost like you have to become a man or it, it's been created that you either have to become a man or you can't survive. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to operate like a man, you have to think in scientific terms, you have to think of like how you can quantify things and like strategic and like, and I'm not probably even articulating that correctly, but it's basically like in the linear, like in order to be successful in our current society on the society is crumbling, but that society <laughs> is, you have to be linear. You have to operate in that in order to be successful. And there's no mm-hmm. room for you to be feminine. And that's what mm-hmm. we're shifting that, you know, we're shifting mm-hmm. that as we're, we're, we're changing the paradigm. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, I used a very extreme example of being like a tanker in combat, but <laughs> if you look at even just like corporate America mm-hmm. for a woman to be successful, think about like, just that, like, um, I don't know, I think almost of like the typical like 80s, 90s, like working woman in the movies, like she's wearing a suit and she can't talk about her kids at work or she can't have kids because you have to be in that masculine energy if you want to be successful in that line of work. Um, And I think we're seeing more and more that that's simply not true. I think there are lots of female... um, CEOs and entrepreneurs out there that are starting to run businesses very successfully on their own terms, guided by their intuition, working more cyclically, um, and are setting the example for other women. But I think the um, now maybe the hurdle is that women can see, oh, well, she can do that, but how could I ever do that? And it takes um, some... uh, bravery and belief in yourself in order to like kind of step outside of those boundaries and set your own boundaries and saying, okay, I'm going to do this at this point in my cycle. I'm going to do this other thing at this point in my cycle. And I'm not going to adhere to the typical standards Um, and having to really shift and maybe even kind of retrain some people around you (laughs) in order to accept that. Totally. Totally. Um, yeah, on some level, uh, we're not going to change the paradigm by still working with all the old systems that weren't, mm-hmm. you know, actually serving us. <laughs> we have to create exactly. new ones. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, this was just a, I feel like we covered so many bases in this conversation. It was, um, it's always, um, so lovely to chat with you. 
Um, but I think we'll wrap it up here. So do you have any uh, final words you'd like to leave the audience with? Um, yeah, so I really would encourage uh, anyone listening to this uh, to really think on and recognize the ways in which they are cycle breaking uh, for their entire lineage and generation. Um, I, I know I've taken it on personally um, to sort of be a cycle breaker and I really want to, you know, give that or offer that invitation to anyone that feels called um, or knows in their heart that they are also people who are here to create a new paradigm and end the ways that things were going in the past that were not actually serving us. So I think I just want to land with that. Um, and then, of course, um, as far as links are concerned, um, I am on Instagram at Emma Brereton. Um, uh, you'll probably link that, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. but, um, and then I also have a website at walkbetweenworlds.com. Um, and all of my offerings are, are on there, um, you know, uh, psychic readings, um, soul design readings, um, you know, coaching uh, for conscious entrepreneurs, as I mentioned, um, and also um, sort of my art is on there as well. So be sure to check that out. And then I also have a podcast, as you, you mentioned, and you can catch Caitlin and I chatting uh, kind of a similar conversation to this if you can't get enough of this conversation <laughs> um, at uh, Walk Between Worlds, and that's on all major platforms. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yes, I will link uh, your Instagram, your website, and I'll, I'll link your podcast. I'll link that episode um, where we were chatting a little bit about my work. Um, thank you so much for sharing your time with me today and sharing your story with the audience. Um, I know that it's going to be so impactful and I feel so gracious that you have been able to be here. I know I'm all smiles. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Caitlin. This was really fun. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning into the Spring to Life podcast. I really hope that you found that conversation as eye-opening and thought-provoking as I did. Whether or not you completely agree with the opinions expressed, I think that it definitely adds some some food for thought to the overall conversation and perhaps may influence your decisions moving forward uh, in terms of how you choose to choose your contraception. Uh, please check out the show notes for any resources mentioned in this episode, any ways to connect with Emma, and I'll also link the episode we discussed from her podcast. And she has also just enlightening, delightful conversations on her show in general. So I highly recommend checking out Walk Between Worlds with Emma Brereton. If you are interested in learning to take charge of your cycle naturally and want to learn cycle charting as a form of contraception, I am currently taking on a limited number of new clients. So I will also link the application link in the show notes as well. If that's something you're interested in learning more about, you can schedule a free quick call to go over the details and see if that is a good fit for you. Otherwise, I would love to know if you resonated with this conversation or if you learned something new, please share, tag me in your Instagram stories. I'm at spring to life method, leave a five-star review or simply share this conversation with a girlfriend because all women deserve to know their superpower.